like many of you, like most people raised in a Christian home, I don't actually know how many that accounts for, but uh, I was very glad to know about the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. I was very glad about it, glad to accept it, glad to acknowledge it. You know, how good that I do, will not have to suffer judgment. That's good. How good that my sins were wiped away, forgiven. What I didn't want to hear for a long time, I didn't like the sound of, and I generally tried to ignore, was that Jesus is also quite clear about being Lord. Not just remover of sins, but Lord, the one in charge. This week I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, this pivotal moment in my life when the Lord Jesus confronted me. I was moving along, living a life according to my desires, and the Lord Jesus confronted me about where my life was heading and what a wreck I was making of it. It was... By his own personal presence, uh, he was saying, no more of this. But at the moment, my literal words were, as I felt his presence, you're the boss. You're the boss. I give up. I don't want to be the boss anymore. I was, it was more like, you're the boss! Because I was in laying, weeping. Yeah. I don't want to be the boss anymore. How is that for sophisticated theology? You know, I, you're the boss, I don't want to be it. Uh, fortunately, it's only silly humans who really go in for sophistication. God is more interested in the heart of things. But the thing was, I had wanted a Jesus of my own invention. I had wanted a God according to my own preferences that who was willing to negotiate with me on my terms. And it turns out that that God that I'd invented, who was really willing to cooperate with what I wanted, was very different than the creator God, the one who's Lord of all, who made the universe. And Jesus is what we might call Stubborn. Uh, he is stubbornly uncompromising about who he is. Uh, in his kindness, he will pry our clutching hands from our false gods in order to open us up to who he really is, to, to himself. And if he's the one who gives life, he's the creator, he's the owner of all things, he's the one who sustains life, and it's in his hands that the judgment is, it seems like it would be very wise of us to hear what he has to say about himself, to try to conform our thoughts to what he says about himself, rather than relying on the words of our imagined gods, rather than trusting that uh, when I imagine God holding some position, because that imagined God is only repeating words that I've put into his mouth. Well, the Lord has been abundantly gracious in addressing this issue that we have. Because I, I know we've all done and do some form of that. He's very gracious. He addresses it 
in the Gospel of John today. We're in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, where we're looking through the end of the chapter. In this, John has recorded Jesus' words as he confronts the Jewish leader's imagined God, the one they've created. It was necessary for them, and it is necessary for us to receive this correction. So if you recall last week's passage, uh, Jesus, in the first part of chapter 5, Jesus had just healed an ungrateful man at the pool of Bethesda, the one he'd been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus heals him. He doesn't say thank you. He goes to the temple and gets in trouble for carrying his cot, and then he finds out who Jesus was, and then he tattles on him. It wasn't me. It's not my fault. I was, it was that guy. Well, in a sweeping statement meant to gesture to Jesus' common practice, verse 16, John says, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Elsewhere, uh, Jesus added that this day, set aside to honor God, the Sabbath, was fitting. It was a good day. It was a right day to heal. It was a right day to restore. It's a right day to give God glory. But verse 18, John says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he, in their minds, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So in the progress, in the, in the uh, overarching narrative, the healing of that ungrateful guy who ends up tattling on Jesus as a Sabbath healer, ooh, uh, that serves as a framing incident. It's a prompt. It's a frame for Jesus to talk about who he is and why he would do such a thing. Because the, the Jews were rightly noticing that he talks about his relationship with the Father in a very suspect way. Uh, he talks about his relationship to the Father and what that relationship means for people. And to summarize his message in one word is he's talking about his authority. So through this whole passage, from 16 to the end of the chapter, Jesus is talking about his authority. Well, first, his authority comes from oneness with the Father. Oneness with the Father. Verse 19, Jesus says, I hope you're following, truly, or very truly, 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 I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. He's saying that his will is yielded up entirely, completely to the will of the Father. They have a singleness of purpose. I don't do anything that the Father isn't already doing. And what he's doing, that is what I do. They have oneness, singleness of purpose. Jesus doesn't act 
outside the Father's movement of will. And, he says, he has been given total access to what the Father's doing. He says, all that the Father does, all, he shows me. He's got total access. So there's oneness of purpose and agreement of will. There's also oneness of power. This oneness is so essential to who God is, so essential to his very nature, that Jesus simply calls it life. Life. God has life. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. It's the power of being. The power of existing. The, the power of not being dependent on another for life. You know, each of us right now at this moment, we are dependent on the next breath, on God sustaining the world. At any moment, he could cease to sustain the world and it collapses on itself, our lives collapse. Only, the Father, only God has life in himself. And so he's the one who creates life. Jesus says, verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. What he had, what, what the Son had before being born in human likeness, before being given flesh, the Father granted him to continue to hold, even as the Son of Man. He continued to have life in himself. Being born in flesh didn't lessen his essential power self-existence. Again, only God is self-existent. Neither angels nor demons, principalities or powers, none of them are self-existent. Only God is self-existent. And the Father has granted that even though Jesus takes on flesh, he maintains self-existence. He has life in himself. It's so important eight times in these sentences, eight times as Jesus is teaching about this, he mentions having the power of life or giving life. So he's leaving no doubt that what everyone knows belongs to the Almighty God, life, is also his. But just to be, leave it completely clear, the thing that belongs to God alone, I have. And the Jews heard him rightly. They heard it. He was making himself equal with God. So his authority then, it comes from oneness of purpose and will with God, along with oneness of essential being, life. They share will, they share life. Well, secondly... Having the authority of God, this is what he's talking about here, means having the authority to judge. Having the authority to say, um, you think of the Sabbath in this way, you're actually wrong. And having the authority to evaluate and measure where those, where those decisions are coming from in people. So Jesus says exactly this, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And further on, verse 27. Just as the Son has life in himself, so the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. His authority to judge flows from his identity with God, with the Father. People sometimes want to think about Jesus as merely nice. He is, he's so, he is so kind. Uh, so he's a model of niceness. Or he's, it's common to think of him as a moral philosopher that was killed for his moral stance, killed for his high ideals. But people who want to think about Jesus like that, as moral philosopher, they have to ignore his words. They have to ignore what he actually says. He claims to be our judge. No moral philosopher claims to be a judge. It's just for all of us to seek after truth. Jesus claims to be judge and his judgment to be in perfect accord with the will of the Father. I began talking about a state in which I found myself. I once was in this camp of denial. The authority to judge? That was exactly what I wanted. I want for myself. I want the judgment of God. I wasn't foolish enough, though, to think that I could actually stand up to God, challenge God's authority. So... The solution there is to just ignore what Jesus says. Just ignore it. Ignore his authority and pretend that what I felt to be right must be right. And, of course, moral philosopher Jesus, he would never confront someone's uh, assurance of their rightness. Moral philosopher Jesus would never object to someone doing what they felt to be right. Because they felt it so. And if they felt it with strong conviction, it must be right. That's the direct opposite of what Jesus is moving towards here. In this passage, in this moment, because of who he is, having an identity of oneness with the Father... And because he has been given authority to judge, his words have full authority. It's his words, not my feelings. It's his words, not the traditions of the Pharisees. It's his words, not custom. It's his words, not what society says is right. It's his words that have authority. It's his words that convey life. His words that give Fulfillment. Jesus' words are the words of God. And they define for human understanding what is right and wrong. Rightness. Righteousness. Goodness. It comes from God's character. It's the words of God. I mean, that's just true, so... Who God is defines what's right. But it's the words of God that convey to our understanding, that enable us to understand what is right and wrong. We need him to speak. 
We need him to tell us. So on the score of comprehending truth, Jesus tells them, you have all sorts of witnesses uh, that are speaking the truth about Jesus. First, there was John the Baptist. Verse 35, if you're looking along. John the Baptist was a burning, shining lamp. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. John was out in the wilderness saying, the king is coming, and then there he is. Listen to his words, do what he says. So we have that testimony, but Jesus says, the testimony I have is greater than that. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So they've got the testimony of John, the prophet, who spoke. Then they have the works of healing, the works of power that speak. And then the Father himself has spoken. So both at Jesus' baptism, when he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son, uh, and the Spirit descends, anoints him. But more of, uh, only some people saw that. More availably to all is the Torah, the Old Testament. Verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that knowing them will give you eternal life. You think that if you have a really good grasp of them, that that will give you eternal life. But it's those scriptures that testify about me. It's those scriptures that talk about me. Down to verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So again, they have the human prophetic testimony of John. They have the works that Jesus does. They have the voice of the Father at his baptism. And finally, they have the voice of God in the scriptures. Four testimonies, all saying, this one is the one. This is the one with authority. All of them saying Jesus' words are identical with the authority of the Father. Jesus has a compassionate reason for disclosing his authority. Because we're Americans, we don't like authority. So immediately as we hear somebody claiming authority, even God, we don't like it. <laughs> we don't want to be told what to do. You sure don't want me telling you what to do. You don't want your spouse telling you what to do. Friend, right? Are you with me? We don't like it. Uh, but we need to remember that Jesus is disclosing his authority out of compassion, out of care. At the heart of what he says is giving life. He wants us to receive his authority because that's how we have life. There's no other way. What graciousness. That to, he is talking. Who is he talking to here? People who have been hating on him because of healing. People who hate him because he tells someone to carry a cot, which is their third remove interpretation of something from Jeremiah. 
They hate that. And yet, he is conveying the truth about himself so that they might have life. Verse 25, truly, truly, verily, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The time has come for the dead to hear God's voice. He means spiritually dead. We've not got zombies walking around there. Spiritually dead people. And at that moment, as he's speaking, people hearing him did not have everlasting life in them. They were spiritually dead. They had breath. They had pulse. They had digestion. But the Spirit of God was not in them. They didn't have eternal life. Their breath is going to stop. The, per the pulse would cease. And without the Spirit of God giving life, what they'll find is judgment. He's being clear about that. But Jesus says the dead will hear. The time is here that they can hear. And those who hear, that is those who heed, those who receive, those who accept his authority as the words of God, they will live. God was directing all of his authority towards something. He was directing authority towards bringing life, renovation of hearts. And he's offering them right there as, as he's talking in this moment. He's offering life to people who have hated him. The words of Jesus give life. This is how John uh, opened his gospel. It was the words of the word that created all things. Without him, nothing was created that has been created. In him was life. That life was the light of men. And still, still, the words of the word, Jesus, bring life. That's how it comes to us, by receiving his words. The hopeless find hope. By receiving his words, those grasping, struggling for meaning and purpose, find it. If you've read uh, Cedric in my book on joy, he shared about this immaculate, a lady in Rwanda who was butchered by soldiers, left for dead with no arms or legs. But Jesus came to her and spoke to her. His words gave her life. She received them, and she received meaning and purpose as a stump of a human being who must be moved manually by someone else. She rejoices. She has life and will have it forever. She has joy. It was the words of Jesus that accomplished that. It was the words of Jesus that brought that about, accomplished the impossible. This is what he does. This is what Augustine terms the first resurrection, when the spiritually dead in the body come alive through accepting the authority of Jesus and his words. 
But the Lord also here, finally, looking at the last thing he says, he points to the second resurrection. That is the first. He points to, to the second. Verse 28, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Again, he speaks. And they'll come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This authority that he's talking about will find its consummation, its fulfillment when his kingdom comes in completion. And in that day, as always, he's very consistent. In that day, his words will pronounce truth. It will be the truth of what has already been. The truth uh, of what has been lived, what has been worked out, what has been chosen. At that judgment, he's not pulling, he's not pulling a surprise at the judgment. He's simply announcing what has already been chosen. And he will give according to how his authority had been received. Well, brothers and sisters, we have to attend to the Jesus who actually is. To the Jesus who was. To the Jesus who is. To the Jesus who is to come. We can reimagine him, and we do. We can reinvent him. We can invent an alternate God who fits more comfortably with our own desires and our preferences. I have tried it. But that doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't get us anything but more of our own attempts at authority. He just becomes this imaginary voice, almost like a friend, imaginary friend, parroting our desires. Because with an imagined Jesus, we're still calling the shots. And we all have that tendency. Even after we receive life, we have the tendency because it's in our flesh. It's in the patterns of our mind. It's in old mental habits. Let's turn from that. That's what Jesus calls us to today. Let's turn from it. The Lord has very kindly revealed who he is. He's very kindly revealed himself. We don't have to craft gods. We don't have to be like the ancient Greeks in their pantheon or the Persian Zoroastrians or the Egyptians. We don't have to craft our own gods. He's shown himself. He's offered himself, and he continues to offer himself. And this revealing of God's nature, it's at the heart of what the church is for. It's what the church is for. We, our task, our task as his people is to know God to know him as he is, to seek after him as he is. That's your task if you are a believer. To find out who he is and to make him known. It's what the church does, to know him and make him known. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to be creative. We just have to be willing to hear, to submit to his words and obey them. That's our part. Let's pray. 
Lord, you did not have to reveal yourself. As the creator of all, when we rebelled against you, you did not have, there was nothing compelling you externally to make yourself known. And so we know that it's all because of your grace, it's all because of your kindness that we know anything about you. And then you came in Jesus and you, you revealed yourself, the image, the very image of God. And still we resist you. Have mercy on us, Lord. And we know that you do. I pray now that you would respond to every mustard seed of faith that we bring, every bit, every inclination to know you truly. Would you take that? Would you move towards us? In Jesus' name we pray.